the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. I'm of the philosophy that I'm okay trying stuff out for a period of time, but if it doesn't work, I think you've got to ditch it and go try something else. And so ultimately, we stopped the BNI group. And after attending the mastermind, the one thing I really thought was, I think there's two routes that you can go. You can either go the referral direction, similar to what John Fisher does, or more of the internet-based direction, which is more what Seth Price had done. So I'm talking to both of them. I wanted to try one starting off, especially since we were so young and new. And so we've really focused on the internet side to start with. And that's kind of been our push at the moment. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. You're back on the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Jimmy, we've got fellow little, awesome listener, Chris Nicolason. He is an awesome guest. And Jimmy, if you don't know what a little is, you're going to have to go watch the Tony Kornheiser show or listen to his podcast. He's a, a really great listener. He actually gets involved in the Facebook group. He's pretty awesome. It's funny that you mentioned Tony Kornheiser because I know Chris is a big fan and he's got quite a traveling history. He's lived in several places and for some reason he's a Nationals fan. And when we were in Washington, D.C., I know he got to go down and meet Tony Kornheiser. He went to a Nationals game and so we met at, at John Fisher's event, but he has been a listener for a long time and I'm really glad to have you on the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, I'm really excited to be on today. I just wanted to uh, kind of touch base on that, too. Yeah, I'd say going to D.C. and meeting uh, Kornheiser and being able to go to a Nats game, probably some of my uh, biggest lifelong dreams. But then also at the same time, I got to be a, uh, a real fanboy at John Fisher's mastermind by uh, meeting the one and only Jim Hacking, too. We can all aspire to that. <laughs> Oh, that's so ridiculous. That's so ridiculous. Before we get into the show, you know, this last weekend was the Chicago Mastermind that John did, and none of the three of us were there. It looks like it was a great event as usual. I'm always bummed to miss them, but man, it's it's just powerful to get together in a group like that. I mean, Chris and I talked for a long time. I met his lovely wife, and we had time at dinner and then at the Mastermind itself to talk, and it's just it's just a great opportunity to get together with fellow like-minded lawyers to think about how to improve your firm. And that's sort of what we're doing with this podcast. The whole reason we're doing this is because we like having these kind of conversations, Tyson and I. We thought it'd be helpful to share that with the world. And we've really gotten together with some pretty neat people. And so it's great to have Chris on the show. 
Absolutely. Hey, Chris, are you, so you and I were talking a little bit off the air just about your background. People have got to hear this. So talk about your background and how you got to become an attorney. So guys, I'm originally from a small town in Ohio. I'm the oldest of four children. I'm the only member of my family to attend any higher education, so any college. Met my wife whenever I was about 19, and then we moved to Idaho. And then after that, we were there for a few years and then moved to Las Vegas, Nevada for about five years. Had our two daughters. And then during that time, I received an undergrad in communications, which who knows what that gets you these days, but it got me a, a nice uh, certificate on the wall. At the time, I needed to support my family, and the communications degree didn't really pay, so I ended up still working in retail. I opened up the Banana Republic at the Venetian, worked at Caesars Palace and some other places. And then we had a chance. We moved to Portland, Oregon for a bit and worked at a store there, moved to Long Island, New York, and then after that, moved back to Vegas again for about five years. And then we had a chance to buy into a dry cleaning business here in Colorado Springs and came up and tried that for a bit, realized that that was outside of our scope of um, what we could do together as a family. And then I finally decided to look into something that I really enjoyed doing because during that time, I was a substitute teacher for quite a bit. And so I went and got my teaching degree and taught elementary school for about three years and also substitute taught during that time. My wife ended up becoming a music teacher at the same school that we were at. And then we were both actually non-renewed or told to not come back during the exact same year. And we both kind of looked at each other and said, we never wanted anybody to kind of have that control over us again. And so I ended up going, you know, taking the LSAT and going to law school because the one thing they can't take away from me now is everything that I've got inside my head. And so that kind of led me to going to law school, which in itself was its own journey. There I ended up taking the LSAT twice. Ended up the school I got into was actually out in Toledo, Ohio. So my wife and my kids stayed here because I had two daughters in school. And then after that, I was able to transfer back to the University of Denver to finish out my last two years. That's quite a story. I can't imagine leaving your wife and children. You must have really wanted to be a lawyer. And I think that message of not wanting to be dependent on other people to have that control over your ability to make an income, I think that's, that's really important. And I think that's what drives a lot of us and our listeners. What happened next? After you finished law school, what did you do? So once I finished law school, I um, so during my 3L year of law school, I was able to clerk for a local judge here in town. And then at the same time, found a small um, boutique firm actually up in a small town that I drove about half an hour to. But their primary area of practice was family law. And so under that, I got to attend hearings and um, help, you know, prepare cases and pleadings and everything else. And then so I stayed on after passing the bar for about six months. And then I went to go work for one of the larger firms here in downtown Colorado Springs, just because at that point I had the basis for family law, but I needed kind of more case experience at that point. And so there I was probably running about anywhere between 40 to 60 cases at a time, did that for about a year, and then ultimately approached my, the managing partner and told her that, you know, I'm just, I'm not an associate attorney. At that point in time, I was about, I think I was about 40 years old, and I, I was just at a point in my life where I knew I needed a change. And so about two years ago, I 
told her I wasn't an associate and decided to hang my own shingle at that point in time. All right. So, Chris, talk about the, the new firm that you started, the name of the firm, and everything that you all do. So I was out on my own for about a year, and then I I felt that I was in Tyson. I mean, I know you just partnered up a while back, so I felt for myself that I was capped as a solo. And so I had two friends slash colleagues that I had worked with at that larger firm. One of them I had known for about 10 years, the other one um, for the time that we had worked there, and ended up forming a, a new law firm with them called the Springs Law Group. And part of the reason that we chose that name was not only because we live in Colorado Springs, but also because we really wanted something that could be transitional through time, something that in the long run that could either be sold or that could be used with other associates and that would really represent the city and the area that we live in. Our firm consists of the three of us as the attorneys, and then we just actually hired my wife on as the office manager. And then my myself and the female partner, we both do family law. And then my the other male partner, he does personal injury. And we use family law as the basis or groundwork to kind of float us until we can get some, you know, some of the PI cases going. Chris, I love your website. I love the name of your law firm. I think you guys are really doing a great job marketing. And I think that the website looks great. It looks like it's optimized for mobile and you and your partners look happy. What is it like practicing in, in Colorado Springs? Tell us a little bit about your market and sort of how you view your positioning in Colorado Springs. So we're the second largest city in all of Colorado, but we have a really small town feel, um, I feel like. There's a lot of military bases out here. We have Fort Carson, the Air Force Base. We have Peterson and Schriever. And so a lot of military in town. And additionally, obviously, the civilians as well. But we have to be up on not only the regular law of Colorado, but also on how to handle military with deployments and things like that. But at the same time, from a firm marketing standpoint and kind of growth standpoint, our positioning, it's interesting because one of the hard things for us starting out is we did not come to the new firm, the Springs Law Group, with a lot of cases. We came basically pretty flat. And by doing that, it's one where we really made a push and felt like we had to figure out how do we become known in the community. And one of the things that I had done and kind of prior to coming into Springs Law Group on my own and then that transitioned into it is I was in a BNI group for a period of time. But the thing that I love not only about your guys' podcast, but about the Facebook group that you have too, I posted out on that group and wanted to see if my experience, even with a group like that, was similar to um, what others that it had, because I wanted to figure out how can I get known in the community and thought that that would be a good way to do it. I had met some really good people through there, but honestly, the feedback reflected what I was going through where I wasn't getting any return on my investment. So I'm of the philosophy that I'm okay trying stuff out for a period of time, but if it doesn't work, I think you've got to ditch it and go try something else. And so ultimately, we stopped the BNI group, and after attending the mastermind, this past September, the one thing I really thought was, I think there's two routes that you can go. You can either go the referral direction, similar to what John Fisher does, or more of the internet-based direction, which is more what Seth Price had done. So I'm talking to both of them. I wanted to try one starting off, especially since we were so young and new. And so we've really focused on the internet side to start with. 
And that's kind of been our push at the moment. I'm curious, Chris, have you noticed a difference in the clientele that's referred to you as opposed to the ones that find you on the Internet? You know, and we've just started getting the push from our Internet clients because of not only the reviews that we've got, but the blogging that we've got. I do believe, you know, it's an interesting question, Tyson, because I think in part we've had both good and bad referrals. And one of the questions I had asked at the Mastermind was, do we take bad clients or what we would consider a bad potential client um, just because somebody referred it? And everybody in my group basically just, you know, stood up and, you know, and said shame to me and, you know, was like, no, you absolutely do not. And you've got to let the person that's referring them know that they're sending you junk. And so for us, it's been a real push of trying to figure out how do we respectfully say, no, we're not the right fit for you and still honor our relationship with the people that are referring. And then at the same time with our internet base, people that are finding us on Google, how do we then, you know, honor those people and have systems in place that can ultimately help them become actual true clients? I know that you swung into action right after the mastermind. And I know one of the things is this project that you have going on with your partners where you're basically blogging once a day. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about that? Absolutely. So one of the big challenges that I was given at the mastermind was our John had told me that our website looked pretty bland and it had no content, no personality. So one is we had a new website created right after the mastermind through Foster. But then we one of the other things we had to do, even though we've got the host, now we needed the content. And again, I believe in trying something. So it was a commitment. And so we are on the commitment right now, and we took John's challenge of the 45 days of content. We're currently on day 38, and in checking, you know, ranking sites um, like SEMrush and Moz and things like that, I've seen a tick up in where we're ranking organically as of late. I've actually used from one of your prior guests, I think it's William Eady, who suggested uh, answer the public. We've been using that quite a bit to help come up with content, you know, topic areas and using that. And then with the three of us, we just, we've been just divvying out the work. Now there's been a disparity in the family law versus the personal injury side because there's the two to one ratio. So what we've now done as of late is we've had actually myself and the female partner, we each do family law blogs. And then the other male partner, he does personal injury blog. But we've also recently hired an off-site blogger recommended by John Fisher as well, who's done some really nice work for us as of late. But we need to keep that traction going. And I feel like it's one of those things that we're slowly in that process of developing a habit of having some good content come out there and giving us a push. You know, you bring up an interesting uh, issue whenever it comes to marketing multiple practice areas. Do you find it difficult trying to market the, the two different practice areas or is it is it pretty easy since there's three different partners? And just talk a little bit about that if you can. I don't know if it's difficult necessarily. I think it's hard in the sense, I'd say from a review standpoint slash, you know, maybe an identity standpoint at times because of the two-to-one ratio. But in everything that we do and everything that we write, we try to become, I'd say, one big unit. So what are we? We are a family law and personal injury firm. I know you guys, and I, I truly believe that the riches are in the niches, But it's one of those things where in marketing, you know, my partner, the other male partner, he's done personal injury now on both sides probably for about 10 to 12 years. 
And so it's that expertise that um, if I, I feel like if we can hone it in correctly and really focus in on, you know, what areas of personal injury he does, we can be very, very successful in that area. And then myself and our other partner, with both of us tag teaming on the family law side, I think it really helps us, you know, show that we're, you know, we're formidable within family law, we're educated within the family law realm, we know what we're doing, and people can trust us, and based on our reviews, too, they can take a look at those. And we really refer people over to those if they're having questions about, you know, hey, who are you guys? I haven't heard of you before. And so we tell them, you know, go take a look at our reviews. If you have any questions after that, come and sit down with us. We're more than happy to chat with you for a bit. Chris, when we were in D.C., did you talk to Seth, or have you given any thought to having separate websites? I Actually, that's interesting you bring that up, because I saw a post this past week um, from one of the mastermind participants who had set up a, I guess it was a Google My Business website. I thought about it, but the issue for us was is that we um, had just entered into the contract with Foster at the time. I think it may be something we're probably going to pursue down the road. And so it's just not probably right now something in our purview. I feel like I'm trying to baby step everything at the moment and just try to become, I guess, really good at one thing and get the momentum moving. And so for us it, right now, it's just been more of a focus on the reviews and the, the content, at least to get started. And then I think down the road, there may be more of a push to have those separate sites because I've seen what Seth does and it's, it's awe-inspiring. It's some really good stuff. Chris, I guess, did you all bring new clients into the new firm? Like, or did you all, or not bring new clients, did you all bring clients to the new firm? Did you already have your own? How did you get new clients? I have a lot of those t types of questions where whenever you bring three different people together, how are you able to meld those, those clients into the one firm? Do you have one database? I guess, let me rephrase it. Whenever did you bring clients to the new firm, and if so, how did you help meld those together? So we each brought some clients with us to the new firm. I wouldn't say it was a, it was a, a gigantic amount of clients, but we each had some. And so I'd still say we're still in the process of trying to build our client database. The way we melded it was, well, obviously, there were letters sent out to each of the clients. Um, they came from the prior firm for the other two, and then with me, they came from my, my solo firm. We used Clio as our CRM, and we, you know, and it was an easy way to kind of integrate all of their information into that. And then it was one, I felt like it was a pretty seamless transition based upon that. There weren't any real big changes because the main point of contact for any of our clients was still us. And so we were the, still the people, though, that communicated with them, that prepped them for hearings, that showed up to hearings and things like that. So there wasn't any piece of customer service that was lost right there. And then for any new clients then coming in, it was a little bit of a learning process because I got more of the entrepreneur mindset, I would say. And then it's about with the other two partners, kind of them figuring out where they fall in that line from moving from employees to entrepreneurs in that regard and where they're at. And so then we, we not only with Clio, we had um, also purchased another internet software called Lexicata, which we use as our pre-boarding software which integrates with Clio, but that's a nice way for us where we can have touches with our new clients even before they come in. So they get, you know, an email regarding the, their contact coming in, what their date is, you know, they get the intake form online that they can fill out. They get a reminder about their appointment, 
And then they also get a follow-up thank you email that's all systematized in that sense. So that's one of our starts in regards to the kind of the beginning phase of the systems for them. Chris, I really respect the fact that you guys have made these investments with a good website, with good software, good case management software, good client follow-up. I think a lot of that might come from your, like you said, entrepreneurial background, opening up a store at the Venetian. Can you talk a little bit about how your experience in retail and, and your pre-law school experience has infused your law practice? Yeah, so for me, it's just been about my, I remember whenever I was a kid, my mom looked at me once and she said, I don't really care what you do, just as long as you work hard. And so I guess that's what it always was for me. I wasn't ever really given a lot of direction, but it was just to go to work and to figure out how to support my family and, and try to work hard. The interesting thing, so about any retail, you're always given planograms or things that kind of specifically lay out exactly how the, um, the clothing is supposed to look. Well, sometimes your store isn't built that way and you have to make changes to it. You have to switch things up a little bit. And then you, and you, but you're also working, you know, at those stores. I mean, there were six managers. And so we had to work within groups to figure out how do we best facilitate this. And so it was those actions where I learned to really become part of a team and appreciate how vital and important a team can be. My partners will both tell you that I'm a team guy. I believe in the importance of the team and how much power it can have. I think with that momentum, it can really, you know, snowball into something great. And I've seen, you know, really amazing things with, you know, both in the retail world, um, whenever I've waited tables in the past, you know, friendships I've made, but just also really great results coming from that. You know, whenever we're shooting for goals in retail and looking at what our last year numbers are and trying to hit those, you know, and we're, we're making up games or bingo or other things like that to try to figure out how do we now hit this goal today. And, you know, everybody gets on board. We've got buy-in from everybody. It's, a, it's some pretty magical stuff in those regards. And so it's those pieces of, one, just showing up to work, and number two, truly believing in the team aspect of whatever we're doing that have really kind of helped shape the kind of, I guess, not only attorney that I am, but also the type of business owner that I am. Jimmy, I think one of my favorite parts about this podcast is hearing the different stories and how... Uh, different experiences actually shape how a person views things. And, and Chris, with you, the, the the whole retail aspect is really interesting to me. So do you all set up your your offices or your office the way you would in like a retail shop? Do you think about it from that perspective? You know, the, the client comes in here, they sit there, that kind of thing. Do you think about all that? So I wish I could say yes, but we're actually in an office share right now. And so that's part of kind of one of the big asks or questions I've got for you two is, after, you know, we're getting ready to finally hit year one, and one of our things has been we've, you know, we've kind of we've floated above water just a bit here during year one. We've had the ability to, you know, get some good, you know, items in place in regards to the blogging and the reviews and things like that. But then the other thing for us is, is I don't think the systems are there yet, Tyson, the way I exactly want them to be for how, you know, we get that potential client that walks through the door. And then how we move them to that next phase of when they're client. And then especially to what happens to them at that end phase and how we stay in contact with them there yet. So I know that's one of the weaknesses where, that we currently have. But it's also one of those areas that I, I know of and that I want to definitely work on in 2018 quite a bit. What's your plan so for doing I, that, Chris? So for us right now... That's my, I don't know exactly what the plan is. So I guess if, if we're a struggle that I'm having is, is 
how do we get started or what should, what would you know is the best way to develop and get started on systems? I know you guys both talk systems quite a bit. I feel like it's one of those things that maybe it's just something we just need to jump into, but I don't know if it's, you know, what phase do we start in with it or kind of where's the best starting point for a young law firm in getting solid systems started. Jimmy, if you don't mind me jumping in here, I I think it all really comes down to the basics, and this is going to sound so redundant if you've listened to all the podcasts. Yeah. You, as as a family law attorney, you need to sit down with your other partner that does family law, and you all need to map out from point A to point Z every single step, every single one. And it may be time-consuming, and you need to do it chronologically too. So on week one, we do this, this, and this. On week two, we do this, this, and this. Week three, until the case is done. Your personal injury attorney partner needs to do the exact same thing. And you all could probably have um, similarities when it comes to the intake process, when it comes to the answering of the phone, when it comes to calendaring. Those could all be identical, but your your cases are going to be handled drastically different. And until you've mapped out from point A to point Z, you can't do anything else. You have to actually sit down and map it out. And I've shown Jimmy mine before. I took one of those little moleskin books and wrote out page after page what you do from point A to point Z. That's how I initially started, and then I put it down on a piece of paper, and then it went from there. That's how you need to do it. You you need to start from there and then go. And then once you've actually got the, the those pieces in place, then you start adding forward forms to it. And then you add, start adding uh, call scripts. You, you start adding all these things at once you have the bones down. But you, until you have the bones down, you cannot do anything else. Jimmy, you got anything to add to that? I would look for low-hanging fruit and things that you do the most of. So if there are certain types of family law cases that take up 50% of your time, then I would I would focus on those first. I, I wouldn't just do an overall shotgun approach. I would try to be very laser focused and say, okay, our bread and butter are child custody cases. And in a child custody case, these things need to happen. And just think of an ideal client experience from start to finish. Like, what are the touches? What are the what are the successes? What are the things that we can do to make this as as painless for our clients as possible? And then and then focus on the big things first, and then, like Tyson said, go down to the little things. Gotcha. Thanks. And Chris, I'll be honest with you. I my law partner and I are sort of we're not struggling with it. It's just something we need to do. We are still in the process of melding our firms together. It's it is not an easy process. It's it's a time-consuming process. It's kind of grueling. And he and I actually have an appointment scheduled to actually sit down and go and, and make sure that my points are touched. The things that I absolutely want done in every case are, are, are implemented, and he'll have the same mm-hmm. thing. And so we we're, we have to actually just do that. And we've got the meeting scheduled. We're going to be doing it next week. And, and it'll just it's just kind of like a zipper approach in a way. We're, we're sort of getting them all put together into one actual system instead of having two different systems. Because the way our, our firm, there's one I was asking is because we he has his cases and I have my cases and then we have our cases because anything that we brought to the firm prior to May 1st are our own cases. We're, we're working those and we're sort of digesting those out and anything May 1st and on are, are, are part of the new firm. And so that's whether it's for us, we knew this was going to be a long process. We were looking at right, right around six to nine months before we're fully integrated. And we're, we're ahead of schedule, but that's why I was asking you because it, it's not an easy thing. So that's why, we're, that's why we're headed down that route. That's what you need to do with your partner because your, your family partner probably has different 
systems than you do that she brought to the firm. And you'll just need right. to make it consistent, especially as you add staff, if you're doing things one way and she's doing it another way, that's just terrible for your staff because they're going to hate it. They're going to hate one of you because they're going to like one of your systems and not the other ones. And switching back and forth is just going to be a pain in the ass for them. So I would definitely, as you add more people, as you begin to grow, get those systems in place. Absolutely. One of the other things that I've learned from Tyson, and I don't know if you touched on it yet, Tyson, I don't think you did, is that Tyson's really good about making systems easier by recording what people are doing. So if if you do have paralegals that do things or if you find yourself doing things, or just sort of recording it as you do it and then transcribing it and making it into a, a script or a workflow. Okay. No, that's perfect. In 2018, one of my big goals is to get systems in place and try to make life a little bit easier for everybody. If we can take out the ability to, you know, think about the simple stuff, I think then it'll make the hard things a lot easier in the long run. Chris, where do you see yourself and your firm, say, three years from now? Ideally, what would what would your firm look like? What would your practice look like? And what do you think you would be spending most of your time on? So for in about three years, um, what I'd like to do is have probably about two or three family law associates, a marketing person specifically directed towards marketing, and, you know, maybe about three or four paralegals to help not only with the family law side, but designated family or paralegals for the personal injury side as well. My personal injury, the personal injury attorney here, he definitely is one who says, look, I don't really want to do a lot with the business. He would attest with that. He likes doing the law side of it. And he goes, just give me if I could just have a slew of paralegals to help me, that would be great, and then I can handle a lot of cases. But for myself, I actually would prefer to take a step back and, you know, from the law side of it and just work more on the business side of it and, you know, host events, host, you know, team building events within the firm itself. So have a firm that's maybe a, what I would call a, a small to mid-sized firm at that point. And but really work on um, community and just the general environment within the firm and then figuring out, too, within the actual community of Colorado Springs, how do we get known? How do we work that aspect of it? Albeit, is, is it working with something like Annika's community marketing aspect of it and working with the marketing director on those pieces of it? But my goal would be to, to step aside and maybe selectively take, you know, a small range of cases but more be more of a uh, supervisor and help kind of from a think tank area in that regard in three years. I think Jimmy knows what question's coming next. Chris, why have you not stepped aside from the day-to-day legal stuff and just started doing that? That's a good question. Um, right now, I, I think most of the business is just trying to keep our heads above water at the moment. And so once I feel like we're there, and maybe it's my own fear of being able to let go of that aspect of it, but I guess I said, I think in honesty, I just, I don't know if we're there yet. And it may be something where based on our caseloads right now that the other partner could handle almost every single one of the, the family law cases where I could do everything else from the business side of it and just the uh, marketing side of it. But I just, maybe it's my own fear, I guess, in that sense of taking that jump. I'm not sure. Chris, are you taking time out of your work week, like setting aside specific time where you're able to do that kind of work, the sort of higher level work and not the, so much the legal work? Jim, it's sporadic right now. Um, I don't know if it's exactly designated. I'd say a lot of it would come on the weekends to where I'm, I'm doing things like that. You know, I remember listening to uh, in a Facebook group where I was talking to, I think it was Nicole Abood, and I was talking about, you know, 
pondering about doing videos. And I think she had posted on there, stop talking about it and just do it. And so that weekend I had shot, you know, a few videos. I had edited them myself and I put them up. So we've got three of them up there. And so any time that I spend, it's usually on the weekends and it would be spent towards the blogging side or towards trying to figure out how we're going to keep the reviews moving. You know, and then next year, my next big push on the keep doing it side is going to be not only the systems, but from the marketing side would be probably the videos. And then to take those, um, I've actually gone out based on your guys' recommendations and bought some lighting and some other things like that. So that's my next big push is to work that aspect of it. But trying to find the time, time has a value and it can be, it can be a little difficult at times, but it's a passion of mine. I mean, I can tell you guys too, and I don't know about both of you, man, but I feel like I you know, eat, sleep, and drink this business all the time. You know, my partners will tell you you can't go probably more than 15 minutes without me somehow talking about the business in one form or another. I would encourage you, I think it'll be very empowering, Chris, to set aside, even if it's just two hours a week, figure out when the slowest time in the office is, just to have that dedicated time to focus on your firm. I think having that set aside at the same time, putting it on your calendar as important as a court date, I think that'll be really empowering for you. Okay. I couldn't agree more, Jim, because something that Jim and I have, I think, struggled with, I think Jim has struggled with this, is that is actually getting our, in our roles, is actually stepping outside of the, the day-to-day operations and getting more into to running the operations. And it was, it's was it been very, very difficult for me because I love trying cases. And so that's, uh, luckily, I've got a law partner that is very supportive. And so we are going to start trying cases and as teams and not as, hey, you're the trial attorney, you're the trial attorney in this case. And so that's going to help quite a bit. We are evolving in our firm as well to allow us to actually have someone, it'll be me, actually doing that sort of outside of the actual day-to-day operations kind of thing so we can grow as a firm. So just looking forward, you may want to have someone, it sounds like it's probably going to be you, designated to do that and then create a plan on getting out of the firm and actually running the firm. All right, it looks like we are up against the time here. So, uh, Jimmy, do you want to get to your hack of the week? Chris, it's really been great having you on the show. I love talking to the newer attorneys, the people who've been out a little bit less. I think it's really empowering and energizing to be able to talk to guys like you. And and it was great meeting you up in D.C., like I said. My hack of the week is a pretty simple one. But, you know, on our firm uh, website and our Facebook page, we post a lot of pictures of our clients after their immigration interviews. And they're all usually pretty happy because we don't put up the pictures of the people who get denied. But I went ahead and I downloaded all those photos to Walgreens. And we have a wall in our office that now has about 100 photos of clients after a happy decision at immigration. And so I think that that is a very powerful tool to have in our office. Whenever I walk into the conference room, which is where we keep the photos, people are usually waiting for us and they're usually standing looking at that picture. Sometimes they find people that they know. Sometimes they find the people that referred them. And more importantly, it's something for them to aspire to, to have their picture up on the wall. And I think it's a quiet endorsement. And I think it also shows that we know what we're talking about. I think a lot of people really get a lot out of it. So I would encourage you, if you have the kind of practice that allows you to take pictures of your clients and that they are happy at the end of the day, then I think that that's something that's really powerful. Very good. There's a personal injury attorney that does something very similar to that, Jimmy. So that's that's very good. Before Chris, before we get to your tip of the week, I do want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook page, request to join there, get involved in the, in the conversation. We have a lot of great conversations going on there. And then also, 
Make sure if you like this podcast, go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to give us a five-star review. Chris, you got a tip of the week? I do. My tip of the week is going to be a book. It's called The Energy Bus by John Gordon. It's a simple little parable, but it's one that really focuses on positive energy and keeping your life moving forward, creating vision. And the big thing I really like about it is um, what John calls the energy vampires and basically getting the energy vampires out of your life. People or, you know, clients or team, you know, team members or what have you that are, you know, sucking away your vision and um, not keeping the bus moving forward. And so, yeah, the energy bus by John Gordon, I highly recommend it. It's a good one. My tip is actually just a reminder, really. Get your holiday cards, Christmas cards, whatever you want to call them, out now. It's about that time. So by the time this podcast releases, you're going to be right at your outer limits on when they should go out. So you want want to make sure you will get your holiday cards out so that people get them, they see them. I send them to clients. So send them to clients and to referral partners. They they will greatly appreciate it. Just so you know, they do appreciate it. I had a client last year. He got one Christmas card last year is from my firm. So he he actually called me. I thought it was so funny. He he loved it so much. So make sure you get your holiday cards out. So guys, it's been a great podcast. Chris, I actually wish we could go another hour because this is I think this is a really good one. So thanks for coming on. Guys, thanks for having me. It's uh, keep up the good work. I really appreciate what you're doing. It's really helped give me a lot of guidance, especially as a younger attorney. And you guys have really helped me, uh, what I would say, run my law firm the right way. So thank you quite a bit. Thanks, Chris. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.